0: heights to the depths
1: of the sea so ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the god uh, in the temple and in the treasuries of the king's house and he sent it as a present to the king of assyria basically i'm gonna pay you i'm gonna ask you to come and help me and i'll even pay you and notice that he sent it to the king of assyria as a gift hoping to receive help there was no guarantee at all
0: glass Gl- Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Because of his fear of being taken over by Assyria, Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. By doing this, Ahaz made Judah a subject kingdom to Assyria. We can only wonder what blessing might have come if Ahaz would have surrendered and sacrificed to the Lord with the same energy and whole heart that he surrendered to the Assyrian king. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must always go to him first in our trials because no one else will protect and direct us like he does. Now here's Pastor Rob.
1: He sacrificed and burnt incense on the high hills under every green tree. He wasn't supposed to do it. But because he was so far gone in other areas, why would he think rightly? He was already corrupted. He was, he was in it. And also the worship was only to, be, to take place at the altar in Jerusalem. It tells us this. Off to the side of verse 4, write this reference. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 13. And let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 12, verse 13. This is what it says. God speaking to his people before they even come into the promised land, what does he tell them? Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. So God is saying, once you get into the promised land, I'm going to choose one of your tribes, and in a specific place, I'm going to have you do this. And through the process of time, God made it very clear. It was Jerusalem through the tribe of Judah, or, or through, through the Levites. And, and they were to be the worship leaders. They were the ones where they would bring the animals to be sacrificed. Yes, animals. Remember the Old Testament the New Testament? They sacrificed animals to cover our sin, or, or to make atonement for our sin. An innocent life in place of mine, and God allowed that. It's called A propitiation. There's a fancy word, substitutional forgiveness, substitutional atonement. But now that Jesus once and for all came, there's no longer need for animal sacrifices. He laid down his life once and for all, and so it was going to be in Jerusalem at the altar. But notice what Ahaz does. He's putting up these little altars all around Jerusalem, everywhere. And then in verse 5, it says, Then Reason, king of Syria, he's the Arameans, these are the Syrians, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel. Notice now, they came up to Jerusalem to make war with Ahaz, and they besieged Ahaz. Now, uh, not only was Reason, the king of Syria, coming after him, but now his neighbors, his own brothers from the north, are now coming against him as well. And one thing you have to remember is that Israel, or excuse me, Jerusalem, is on the top of a mountain range, Mount Moriah. And because it's well fortified, it's got walls all around it, it's got a water source going through the middle of it. So they have plenty of water, they're well fortified, not an easy place to take over. And so... um, you know, they, 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 it was very hard to be victorious over this city. So now you got Syria, the king of Assyria, or a, a king of Syria, excuse me, and Pikah, the northern ten tribes, the king of the northern ten tribes. Now they're both coming down upon Jerusalem. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to um, Isaiah chapter seven, because there's two passages that I'd like for you to really consider reading, and we're going to be touching on a lot of this tonight. Um, it's Isaiah chapter seven and Second Chronicles chapter twenty-eight. As you read this sixteenth chapter in Second Kings sixteen, if you were to only go to Second Chronicles twenty-eight and Isaiah seven, it will fill in all the blinks. Fill in a lot of stuff here to help you understand. So notice it says in uh, chapter 1, or chapter 7, verse 1 of chapter 7 of Isaiah, it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, "Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim, which is the northern ten tribes. And so the king, Ahaz, and all the residents, their heart and the heart of the people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, because Isaiah was a contemporary of Ahaz and the people at that time, the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and, and uh, Shear-Bashub, your son. That was his name. How would you like a name like that? You know, not Joe or Bill or something like that. It's, it's Bat bashub Hey, Shear, how you doing? And meet, them, meet him at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted, for these two stubs... These two stubs of smoking firebrands. Do you notice how the Lord called the, um, he called the king of, of Syria and he called Pekah the king of Israel? He called them stubs of smoking firebrands. He says, for the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the sons of Remaliah. He says, because Syria, um, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying... Quote, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in the wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. And then God responds, This is what they're saying, Isaiah. Go tell them, go tell Ahaz and everybody in Jerusalem that this is what they're saying, but this is what I'm going to say. And God intervenes and says, It's not going to happen. It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. And he says, moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of for yourself. From the Lord your God. Ask it in the depth or in the height above. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Do you see the hypocrisy in that? He, he was so involved in his own worship, and you know, in his false worship, that now God says, Syria and the, the king of Israel, they're not gonna, it's not going to happen. They're not going to come and take over. I know it looks really bad, but it's not going to happen. And to prove it to you, Ahaz, ask for me a sign Ask for me a miracle, and I will do it to you, whatever it is. And, and Ahaz says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to test the Lord. So what does it tell us? This is the verse we know around Christmas time. Therefore, the Lord will... Um, oh, excuse me, verse 13. Then he says, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary man, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the the virgin... Shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken of both of their, of her kings. Now Isaiah gave this prophecy in 734 BC and reason and Pekah would both be killed by 732 BC. Do you see how his prophecy was right on the money? Within two years, both of those guys are going to die. And it came to pass. And so there was a woman who was a virgin at that time. Some say it might have been Isaiah's wife. We don't really know. There's some speculation about that. But there was a woman who was a virgin. But then she does get married. She does give birth to a son right about this time. And before that child would know to discern between good and evil... Both of those two kings would die. That is definitely true, but also the Lord is showing us something even more interesting. It was a partial fulfillment because we know the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy came when Jesus was born. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Who was the virgin? Mary. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called what? Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Literally, God implanted that seed in Mary's womb. Joseph had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. That happened before they came together as husband and wife. Before the marriage was consummated, that happened. That's why it's never happened again. It never happened, and it'll never happen again. It happened once, and it happened to a young girl, a young teenage girl named Mary, So, verse six in our text again. Go back to Second Kings sixteen. So at that time, Reason, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. And then the Edomites went to Elath and dwelled there to stay. Now Elath, if you look on the map on the screen, you can see where this place is. Uh, you know, this is the um, uh, the Gulf of Aqaba, and right up here is. Right there at the very tip of that is a little port city named Elat, and you can visit it today. It's called Elat, and this is the place that reason captured. He came down and captured this city, and in um, and, 2 and Chronicles, we don't really have, um, oh, we don't have a lot of time to go there, but let me tell you this. Read 2 Chronicles <laughs> chapter 28. Verses five through fifteen. It gives a lot of information on this, on what had happened, because um, I want to get to verse seven. And so Ahaz, Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, uh, and so just picture this. So here's Ahaz, and right now he's got the Pekah, the son of Israel, and Reason the, the king of Syria, both of them are coming, and then uh, there are some things that occurred there that are really ugly, and you can read Second Chronicles 28 and find out what that is. Really ugly stuff. But now, because of that, there is another empire over here called the Assyrian, Assyrian Empire. And so what does Ahaz do? Does he call upon God and say, God help? No, he doesn't. And instead he goes to Ahaz saying, I'm your servant and your son. Come and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. And this was a really big mistake. So instead of relying on the Lord, he hoped in the deliverance of some pagan nation surrounding him. What did, what did David tell us in Psalm 60? Give us help from trouble for, help, for the help of man is useless. He should have been crying out to God. What does it tell us in Isaiah 31? Woe to those who go down to Egypt, meaning anyone else in the world. Woe to those who go to the world for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, who do not seek, who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. And this is who Ahaz chose to go. I want to go and ask this mighty man over here, this, you know, king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser III, come and save me. And Ahaz took the silver. He took the, so Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the God, uh, in the temple, and in the treasuries of the king's house, and he sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. Basically, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to ask you to come and help me, and I'll even pay you. And notice that he sent it to the king of Assyria as a gift, hoping to receive help. There was no guarantee at all. It was a big gamble, very foolish on many levels. So the king of Assyria, verse 9, heeded him. For the king of Assyria went up to Damascus, which belongs to Syria. So now, Assyria is now coming against Syria. Do you follow? And the capital of Syria is Damascus. (laughs) Now think about that. Because that's all this guy did. That's all... Tiglath-Pileser III did. He only came against Syria because he wanted Damascus anyway. He didn't come down and attack Pekah, the son of Remaliah, to deliver him. No, he, just, he took the money, he took the gold that Ahaz sent him and says, I'm going to do what's convenient for me, and right now I'm going to conquer this peace. You've got your own problems. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to take this. That's what I wanted to do anyway. By the way, thanks for the money. Appreciate it. I was going to do it anyway, but you know what's nicer with a bag of, you know, $100 bills in my pocket. So the king of Assyria only heeded Ahaz in doing what he was already planning on doing. In other words, the king of Assyria wanted to take control over Damascus, which was... The capital city of Syria, and he wanted to depose or kill reason, the king of Syria. Anyways, so now Ahaz gives him money to help him, um, and 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 he's more happy. You know Tiglath Pileser is more than happy to receive it, but he does nothing to Pekah. Tiglath Pileser looks at uh, you know the northern ten tribes and says, "I'm not going to worry about those guys." It's not up to me right now. It's not in my heart. I don't feel like it today. But I will take care of Syria and Damascus because I want that for myself. So it was convenient. So now, from verse 10, throughout the rest of the chapter, we're going to see Ahaz's false worship. And this is really heartbreaking. So notice verse 10. So King Ahaz, he went to Damascus to meet Tiglath Pilate, or probably to thank him. Thank you for getting Syria off my back and the king of, you know, King Rezin. Thank you for that. And while he was there, he saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern according to all of its workmanship. So Ahaz wasn't supposed to do this because, according to the law, um, he was. Um, uh, according to the law that tells us in Exodus chapter twenty. Verse twenty four. What did God tell the children of Israel? An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. Every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, notice this, this is very important. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. In other words, none of this decorative brick that we buy when we build this you know thing out in our backyard. You know this all nicely chiseled and everything. No. God says, don't put your hand on it. Why? He says, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. That's kind of weird. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Well, because what happens on that altar, is it supposed to be pretty? I mean, think of it. If you and I were to sacrifice and build an altar and sacrifice an ox or a sheep, what is happening on that altar It's covering for your sin. You know, back in the Old Testament, of course, that's what they did, right? And it's a bloody mess. It's ugly. The altar is a place of death. Why should you make it look all nice and chiseled and put little bows around here and have a little, you know, ice sculpture in the middle and, you know, little angels, you know, hovering over. I mean, none of that. God says, that's a place of death. Don't put your hand on it. If you put a tool on it, you've profaned it. I would encourage you also to read Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 4 through 6. It kind of just talks more about this. God didn't want them. So, verse 11, it says Then Uriah the priest, when he hears this, when he gets the plans, you know, so Ahaz, he's in Damascus, he sends a fax. I mean, he had a a, a a courier, of course, but he sends a fax machine and it's, takes a picture on his phone, sends it to Eurasia, says, build one just like this. It's so nice. It's so beautiful. It beats that other ugly thing that we got in the temple. This is so beautiful. Oh, it's so nice. Look, when the sun hits the rock like that and it's polished, it's, oh, it's so beautiful. I gotta have it. I gotta have one. Then Eurasia the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent him from Damascus. And so Eurasia the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. Problem, is he supposed to make offerings, being a king of Judah? No, it's supposed to be the Levite's. But God had a way of his prescribed. This is very reminiscent of a few times in the scripture where God, where God's people thought they could do things differently rather than doing God's prescribed way. God made it very clear through Leviticus how we ought to be worshipped. And throughout the time of Israel's history, there came moments, and 2 Samuel chapter 6 is another good example. Remember when David, before he brought, before he became, when he became king, one of the things he wanted to do was bring the ark from Kirjath Jerem to bring it back to Israel. And so what does he do? He's so excited, and everybody's excited. I mean, David was a fantastic king, but he made a mistake. And the Levites made a mistake. They had to take this thing from Kirjab jerim and, and drive it farther east, uphill, up into Mount Moriah on the Temple Mount. So what do they do? They put it on a cart. Let's get one of those things from Home Depot. Let's, You know, those, those, uh, those big vans, and we just slide open the door, throw it in there, close the truck, and up the hill we go. That's basically what they did. They put it on a new cart. And why a new cart? Because they saw the Philistines do it. The Philistines got away with it. And God says, well, they're ignorant. They don't know anything. But you know the truth. You were supposed to put those gold poles. You're not supposed to touch the ark. The Levites were supposed to put those poles on each side, sliding through the ark of the covenant. And four of them, one on each corner, were to bear it on their shoulders. And they were to walk. All the way to Jerusalem. That's the way it should be done. And God in his grace, remember, allowed them to put it on a new cart. He allowed them. They probably would have gotten away with it because of God's grace. But then something, the unconscionable thing happened. The ox is going along and Ohio and Uzzah are there on each side. You know, they got the beast, you know, pulling the cart and they're, hey, this is pretty cool. And the ox stumbled. The thing started to buckle. The the cart started to shake. And he put his hand on the ark. And God struck him dead right there on the spot. I think God was able to keep that ark from falling. And even if he wasn't, so what? He touched it. God says, now you've gone too far. If you would have gotten this thing, I probably would have talked to you about it, David. (laughs) But now he touched it. I'm not going to go that far. You see God's grace? He was gracious. They were probably, they could have gotten away with it to an extent, but then they went over the line. And so that's what happened. What about Leviticus? Remember in Leviticus 10 when Nadab and Abihu, they were supposed to offer incense on the altar? Profane worship, and now they they mix something with the incense to make it sparkle. Maybe they put sparklers in there. I don't know, or pop rocks inside the incense to make it pop and make it make it sparkle. Maybe make I don't know what they did. They did something because it wasn't it wasn't it just wasn't fulfilling me, man. I just you know the 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 incense. It's just kind of like we do this every single day, and I just I want something bigger, and just want to see some fireworks. And God's like, no. I know how I ought to be worshipped. And God killed them on the spot. A fire proceeded from the throne of God and consumed them. So the manner of worship, the composition of the incense, clearly specified in Scripture. They began to tweak it and play with it. And God says, don't do it, don't do it. And they began to do it. And then they, whatever they did, it must have been a real show. Kids are probably really excited, whatever it was. We have to remember that worship is not about us. It is not about us. It's about the Lord, and he has the right to tell us how and where he ought to be worshiped. We are not to make up our own rules as we go along.
0: That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Second Kings.